Well, let's go on and uh, turn to Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, which is where I have my assignment this morning. And we are continuing a series on the greatest, the greatest. And I'm not sure if this will be the last message in this series. We'll see what the Lord lays on Pastor Frank's heart, uh, but definitely excited to share what the Lord put on my heart with you this morning. So let's go on and dive into uh, chapter one, beginning with verse 18 in the book of Matthew. If you got it, say, I got it. If you need some more time, say, hold on. All right, all right, all right. I'll give you a little bit of time. So good to be here. So good to be here. Hopefully you are uh, refreshed. I hope everybody had a good Christmas, a good holiday as we bring in the new year. How many of you are believing for great things in 2019? Amen. 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 Let's look, in, let's look at the scripture this morning. So in verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Talk about some drama. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, I love that, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And by the way, there's power in virginity. Can I say that again? There's power in being a virgin. I know that's not something we talk about a lot these days, but it's something that I talk a lot about because I recognize that there's power in virginity. Come on, somebody. Come on. Come on. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife And did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. I want to speak to you guys for a few moments from the subject matter, the greatest stepdad. The greatest stepdad. As we dive into this message, I speak from experience of what it's like to have a stepdad. And I realize that in this room, we may have some stepdads, some stepmoms, or people that have taken kids that didn't have parents and adopted them and brought them into their family. But I want us to look at the life of Joseph and why I feel that he was the greatest stepdad. Let us pray. Father, we love you. I thank you for everyone that's gathered here in this room. I pray that you would speak to them, that you would speak to all of us corporately, but individually. Lord, I confess that I need you. I remember where you brought me from. I know that I can't do this of my own strength, but I need your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would bring illumination and understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. But as we look at this topic of stepdad, I can't help but look at the life of Joseph and think to myself how powerful, how faithful 
this man of God was. Throughout this message, even though I'm calling it the greatest stepdad, as I said in the introduction, I realize that we also have some stepmoms. And I don't want to be gender specific because even serving in youth ministry for over 10 years, I've had many people that have come into the ministry and have adopted so many kids, have become mentors to them, have poured into their lives, and they are blessed because of it. Amen? So we're thankful for that. We're thankful for all of you that serve and that are mentors to young kids that may not have families. But as we look at the life of Joseph and him being a stepdad and all that he went through, there's some things that I want to share with you in regards to his life, things that we can learn from him, glean from him. First off, the first point that I want to make as we dive right into this, point number one, Joseph exemplified what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. He exemplified what it means to be led by the Spirit. And I can say firsthand, not that I've experienced what it's like to be a stepdad, but having stepdads in my life, you must be led by the Holy Spirit. Because there are so many variables that come into play when you take on the role of becoming a step-parent or take on the role of mentoring somebody, not having knowledge of what they've gone through, what their family line was like, what generational curses, if I can be honest, may exist within that family. But how many of you know with every generational curse, a generational blessing can be erected through the power of Christ? But it's important that we understand what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. This is necessary when it comes to a potential job opportunity that's presented to you. This is important when you're deciding where to move, who to marry, how to raise your children what to do in a specific situation where there's a conflict, the leading of the Holy Spirit is essential. And this is further developed and taught in the book of Galatians chapter 5. Paul begins to unpack what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. And how do I know that Joseph was led by the Holy Spirit? Because the fruits of the Spirit were evident in his life. Galatians tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, gentleness, self-control. You will notice in the life of Joseph, all of these characteristics were present, indicating that he was led by the Holy Spirit. Did you know, and I remember one of uh, my pastors sharing this with me, one of my mentors sharing with me, every day that you wake up, you wake up in the flesh. Did you know that? Maybe your behavior like indicates that when you wake up, because <laughs> some of us are not morning people. But every day you wake up in the flesh and you have a choice. The moment that your eyes are open, whether to remain in the flesh or to get in the spirit. You have a choice whether I'm going to allow the first fruit of my day to be unto the Lord or unto my flesh. To spend time in the word, to spend time in prayer, to spend time thanking God for the breath of life. You have a choice every day that you get up. And did you know that you practice resurrecting every time you go to bed? Every time you go to bed and you rise up again, you are practicing something that you will later on receive that will be eternal, an eternal resurrection that will never die. Are you with me this morning? But as we look at his life, Joseph was led by the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit was evident in his life. But he had a dilemma, a great dilemma. Most of you know this, but for reminder's sake, Mary became pregnant. Her pregnancy could have meant her life. They were in a, in what was called a betrothal period. This was a period of one year. And during this year, in the Jewish culture, 
the husband would go and start making preparations for his bride. These were arranged marriages. And also when he would go and make preparations for his bride, traditionally everyone would stay in the same house, but the husband would begin building a house on the side of his parents' house so that he could prepare a place for his bride. You know why I love this? Because now I understand why Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Meaning that he's coming back to receive us, meaning that we are his bride and he is our bridegroom and he's coming back for his church. So no matter what difficulties or, or, or um, heartache or pain that you go through in this life, your savior is coming back for you and he's preparing a place for you. But he would go and prepare this place and he would wait during this betrothal period until they could finally consummate the marriage through sexual relations. All right. But during this betrothal period, Mary ends up getting pregnant. And can you imagine the conversation? I always think about this every time I think about this story. How in the world do you communicate that you are pregnant by the Holy Spirit when this has never happened in all of history? I bet Joseph was like, say what? (laughs) Pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Are you serious? But you know what? Even though the news was shocking to him, Even though the pronouncement was given, he maintained his faith in God. And he was led by the Holy Spirit. Even though this news was hard for him to handle, was hard for him to adjust to, what's powerful is, is he thought about it. He molded over. How many times in our life have we been presented with circumstances or situations that were unfavorable and we responded out of our flesh? And we said something that was catastrophic. We said something that we later on regret. This is why it is important to remain in the spirit, to walk in the spirit, so you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And as a believer, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But the Holy Spirit is not going to force himself on you. You have to yield yourself to him. And that's what Joseph was able to do. And that's why even though this news was shocking, He was able to handle it in such a way where he extended grace instead of hate. Now, what's interesting, the dilemma that he was under, if a woman became pregnant during the betrothal period, according to Deuteronomy 22, she was to be stoned to death for her behavior. So when Joseph was presented with this news and the Bible says that he decided to put her away secretly, in essence, what he was doing is he was being just and not allowing everybody to know what had transpired, but he was going to divorce her secretly so that the news didn't spread and the situation become even worse because he said to himself, either I do that or I sin against my God and I take ownership of this child when it's not actually mine. But as he thought about these things and he slept on it, this may be a word for somebody. Maybe you have a difficult decision that you're having to make until God gives you a peace and speaks. Don't move. Don't move on it. I can remember when we were uh, deciding to leave Texas where it's hot and like 100 degrees and like you don't have to deal with the cold. Um, And we were thinking about coming to Connecticut to assume the role that we're in now here at this church. I had to hear a word from the Lord. My wife is from St. Lucia, and so it was easier for her to move because she had been moving a lot. But I was always in Texas. I was born in Texas. That's why I'm a diehard Cowboys fan, because I'm from Texas. But I can remember the deliberation and trying to figure out, Lord, is this what you've called us to do? Is this where you want us to go? And I can remember when we came and we visited and we met 
uh, uh, the leaders of the church and met Pastor Frank and, 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 and met the students. Like we felt this is where the Lord was calling us. And there was a peace that I had in my heart. God never spoke to me audibly, but I knew in the quietness of my spirit, it's time. And everything began to fall in line. Why? Because I submitted it unto the Lord. And I prayed and I asked him for guidance. This is true in a job. This is true when you're deciding who you're going to marry. This is true in every area of your life. Wait on the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? But he had this dilemma. And this is what he was up against. And what's interesting, and, and I felt led to share this because I feel like it's needed. When somebody becomes a step parent, that means that something in the past transpired. Maybe there was some relationship that didn't um, last, or maybe it came to an abrupt end or a hard end. So I wanted to lay out some groundwork as it relates to that particular topic. I know sometimes there's a lot of questions that people have, like, how do I move on from this relationship and enter into another one? Because it's important that when you enter into a relationship that the foundation is good that the foundation is Christ, that there's no baggage or there's no, uh, 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 like you have closure from the past. All of these things are important before you enter into that relationship. And so there's three scriptures that I want to share with you that talk about marriage and divorce. The first scripture that I want to share with you is found in the book of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said that I do not permit a man to divorce his wife except for sexual immorality. For in such cases, a covenant is broken. But may I give a caveat, may I say something? Jesus is all about restoration. Did you know how many times the children of Israel committed spiritual adultery against him? You can read in the book of Jeremiah chapter 3 where God literally gave them a certificate of divorce because of their spiritual adultery. But because of his love, because of his nature, because of his grace, he ended up taking them back. So it's always God's heart for restoration, even in the case of adultery, because in that moment, you have an opportunity to love that person like Christ would. Are you with me? And God hates divorce. And I'm not here to condemn anybody. And may I say before I go any further, there is grace and there is mercy. So hear me out as I present this to you. But he said, I do not permit a man to divorce his wife for sexual immorality. So that's one. Second scripture is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The context of this scripture was there were believers that were in Corinth that had been saved by Paul's ministry. And what was happening was you would have a couple where both both spouses were not believers. And then all of a sudden, one would give their life to Christ, but the other person would not give their life to Christ. And there was conflict that was happening within this relationship. Now, let me throw something in here really quick. It's important when you enter into a relationship that the person is a Christian if you're a Christian. God has not called us to do missionary dating, but he has called us to be missionaries. All right? So until that person has made a commitment to give their life to Christ, you are adding undue stress and pressure in your life that you don't necessarily have to have because God calls us not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. This is a message for this generation. I want to help you. I want to help you. But what was happening, they were already married. Both parties were not saved. One person got saved, but the other person didn't. And they were finding that there was conflict within the relationship. So they said, Paul, how are we supposed to deal with this? 
Every time I want to go to church, this person doesn't want to go to church. Every time I want to give unto the things of God, this person doesn't want to give. Every time I want to get in the Bible, this person doesn't. And there was constant conflict. So they asked Paul, help us, please. And Paul said this, if you have an unbelieving spouse that wants to remain in the marriage, you are to remain in that marriage and not divorce them. By your godly influence, by your relationship with Christ, especially if you have children, you could lead that person to Christ and also save your children in the process. Do not divorce them. But if you find that that individual no longer wants to be in the marriage, they cannot stand the fact that you love God and there's constant conflict and turmoil. God has called us to peace. He said, if that person desires to leave and they desert the marriage under such situations, you are not under obligation to remain in the marriage, but you are free because they have decided to leave. Do you guys understand where I'm coming from? If they desire to stay, you are called to stay. But if they desire to leave, you are not under obligation. The third scripture that I want to share is found in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, chapter 7, Paul was using marriage as an example or as an illustration of our relationship between the law and grace. How many of you are thankful that we are no longer under the law, but under grace, a new covenant that we have in Christ? Because I don't know about you, there are so many things written in the law that I know for sure I could not keep. And if you think that you can, look at the Ten Commandments and tell me how many of you have kept all of those to perfection with no fault. None of us can. But the law was never meant to be a means for being saved, but it was to point us to the one who saves, who is Jesus. So when we look at the law, he says, and he uses marriage as an illustration, he says, as long as you were living, you were bound to the law. Watch this. Come on, this is some good stuff. As long as you were living, you were bound to the law. But when you die, you are free from the law and able to marry another one, which is grace. But if you try to marry the grace while you were still in the law, you will commit adultery. But it's important for you to die. That's why when we give our life to Christ, we are dead with Christ and we are alive with him as well. That's why we get baptized to illustrate something that has already transpired on the inside. Are you with me? That's why Jesus, or that's why the word of God says in 2 Corinthians 5 that you are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You died when you gave your life to Christ, and therefore you were able to be married to another. But with the illustration, he says in marriage, if a man is married to a woman or vice versa, and the spouse dies in that situation, you are not under obligation because the person is gone. You are free to marry. Are you guys with me? So it's important in any relationship that we enter into that we deal with some of the baggage and some of the things that we've gone through. May I submit at this time, I believe in premarital counseling. I believe that if there's any couple that's here in this room that is desiring to be married, that's a beautiful thing. Marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled, the Bible says. Praise the Lord. He that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Marriage is a blessing, even though our world would downplay marriage and and, and make us to believe that marriage is not significant anymore. It is. But you want to make sure that your foundation is right when you enter into that relationship. And even though it may be difficult to dig up some of the things from your past, it might be necessary so that you can be healed. 
And so that you don't carry some of the things that were in your previous relationship into this next relationship. Or could it be possible that God is calling you to go back to the relationship that you came from because God wants to restore it? Are you with me? I know this is heavy teaching right here, but the Lord wanted to speak to you about this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, Psalm 37, 23. And even though Joseph was in a different situation than what I just described, it's still applicable to us. And I wanted to bring it home so that we would understand. In Proverbs 18, 13, before I move on from this point, it says, what a shame, what folly to give advice before listening to the facts. Sometimes what we need to do is just listen. Sometimes when somebody's going through something, the greatest way that we can console them is not giving them a scripture or a revelation, but I just want you to know that I love you and I'm here. If you're hungry, I'll go and get you some food. If you need somebody to cry on, I'm here. Can I be honest with you guys? And, and, I, and I say this as a pastor. There are stories that I've heard of people that have gone through things in our church. And though others were well-meaning, they have spoken things into their life that were not of God have told them that they were living in sin, there's something that they had done. Unless you hear a word from the Lord, I mean a audible voice from the Lord, be careful what you say because you can damage somebody's life as they're trying to get through what they're going through. Be careful what you say. The second point, come on, give it up for the Lord. Come on. The second point that I want to make is generational blessings hinge on the sacrifices we make today. Let me say that again. Generational blessings hinge on the sacrifices we make today. One of my life messages, and you've probably heard this from me a thousand times, I believe that every generational curse can be broken in Jesus' name. In my experience in ministry, I have seen the effects of generational curses passing from one family member to the next. I believe in it because I've seen too many cases of it while I've served in ministry. But one of my heart's desire and my life message for everyone, especially young people, is that you would know that you can accomplish what God has purposed you to accomplish despite what you did not have growing up. That you can go to college, that you can have a functional marriage, that you can be successful in your life, that you can remain a virgin until you get married. You can do these things, even though it was something that you never observed in your life. You can accomplish it, but not through your own power or strength. But when we look at the sacrifice that Joseph made, a question comes up, and I've asked the Lord this question several times. And he shared something with me as I was studying that I've never seen before in the scriptures. Isn't it amazing how you can read the Bible, you can read certain books, and then in a certain season of your life, man, I never saw that. I never saw that. Well, this was one of those moments. Have you ever wondered why God decided to impregnate Mary after she was betrothed to Joseph and not before? Think of like the heartache, the persecution, the gossip, the turmoil that this couple was under just because she was already engaged. She was already betrothed. God, you could have saved them a lot of trouble if it was done before they were engaged. But there was a purpose behind this. And God wants us to see what it was. We find this out by looking at the genealogy of Jesus. 
Now, what I'm about to enter into, follow with me, track with me here. You have to understand that we are blessed to have the Bible. How many of you know that? We're blessed to have the written word of God and to learn about history and to learn what transpired. But don't forget, Mary and Joseph, they had what was right in front of them. And what I'm about to share with you, they knew none of this. They were just making decisions. The point that I want to make as I go through this is the decisions that you make today have dividends for the future. They either could be eternal consequences or eternal blessings, generational blessings, based on the decisions that you made today. I recognize that I am leading, leaving a legacy, not just to my own kids personally, but even to the youth that I have the privilege of serving with. I realize it's not about me, but it's also about them. And even though I've recognized generational curses that are within my own family, especially the men in my family, I do not want this to pass down to my son. I do not want this to pass down to my kids. And I recognize that I can't do this on my own, but I love you, God, and I want them to love you as well. Help me. But watch this. As we dive into this, a genealogy, number one, it proved that a person was indeed an Israelite. Number two, it identified the tribe to which he or she belonged. And number three, it qualified certain Jews for religious duties such as Levitical and priestly service. There are two genealogies that we see of Jesus in the Gospels, in Matthew and Mark. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 1 through 17, and in Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38. Both genealogies are different and seem to take on different paths after David. Watch this. All of them can be traced back to Abraham. And also Jesus came through the tribe of Judah. But where you start to see a distinction is when we get to David. Because the Messiah would sit on the throne of David. But after David was conceived and was born, he had two sons when he got older. One of the sons, most of you know, was Solomon who was conceived by Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, the one whom David had killed so that he could be with her, Solomon. Then the other son was Nathan. Now watch this. Are y'all with me? Solomon was David's son, and Solomon's line went through to Joseph. Nathan was also the son of David, and his line went all the way to Mary. This is significant. Hold on to that. Watch this. It is understood by the context that the line of Joseph was given in Matthew and the line of Mary in Luke. But why was Mary's name not mentioned in the book of Luke? I'm glad you guys asked. (laughs) Watch this. From all the genealogies in the Hebrew scriptures, two observations become apparent. With very rare exceptions, only the male line is traced and only men's names appear. Watch this. The descendancy of women is not given and their names are only mentioned in passing. Since biblically, it was the father who determined both national and tribal identity. It was reason that only his line was necessary. Are y'all with me? In his genealogy, Matthew um, breaks with Jewish tradition and custom. He skips a few names and mentions the names of four women. I know Pastor Frank has preached on this before. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. It was contrary to Jewish practice to name women in genealogy, but Matthew broke that tradition. 
And he mentioned these four women. And these four women are significant. These four women didn't have, uh, how shall I say, didn't have the best of reputation. But the reason why they were mentioned is Jesus wanted to emphatically tell us that he came to save sinners. I came to save sinners. And I'm not asking you to come to me perfect, but come to me as you are. And I'm proving it to you because I decided to come through the line of these four women. Not only that, but these women were also Gentiles, meaning they were non-Jews. So also what Jesus was communicating, not only was I sent to save the Jews, but I was also going to open the door to the Gentiles. And there would be a time where I would engraft them all in. Are you guys still with me? Unlike Matthew, Luke follows strict Jewish procedure and custom in that he omits no names and mentions no women. However, if by Jewish custom one could not mention the name of a woman but wished to trace her line, how would you do that? How would we know? He would use the name of her husband. Possible Old Testament examples of this are Ezra 261 and Nehemiah 763. But there is a problem that we discover in Matthew's genealogy, which, by the way, was Joseph's genealogy. There was a king by the name of Jeconiah. This is on your notes. But in Jeremiah 22, 24, listen to what this says. Jeremiah was a king before the Lord who committed spiritual adultery against God and started worshiping foreign idols and caused all of the children of Israel to play harlot as well. And through his wickedness, he was judged. And look at what the Lord says. As I live, declares the Lord, even though Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would pull you off. Is this man, Jeconiah, a despised shattered jar or is he an undesirable vessel? Why have he and his descendants been hurled out and cast into the land that they had not known? Oh, land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man, Jeconiah, down childless, a man who will not prosper in his days for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. Are you with me? In short, no descendant of Jeconiah would have the right to the throne of David until Jeremiah, the first requirement for Messiah lineage was to be of the house of David. With Jeremiah, though, he expounded upon this and he said, or expanded on it and said, not only did one have to be of the house of David, but he had to be set apart from Jeconiah. Are y'all with me? So this is where the problem is posed. How could Jesus come through the line of Joseph and be associated with Jeconiah and yet still be able or be qualified to become a king on David's throne? Thank God for Mary. Thank God for her line. Through Mary's line, Jeconiah, because her lineage was after Nathan, David's son, not Solomon, David's other son. So through the line of Mary, she escaped the curse of Jeconiah. Watch this. In summary, listen to what this says. Matthew provides the legal or royal lineage from David through Joseph to Jesus while Luke provides the physical lineage from David through Mary to Jesus. So the point that I'm making is, if anyone wanted to argue 
the validity of Jesus being able to be king on David's throne, let's say that they said to themselves, you know what? We're not going to take into account a woman's line because of Jewish custom and tradition. Jesus said, okay, well, we can look through the line of Joseph and see that he was entitled or could claim rights to be the king. But then somebody else may come and say, wait a minute, but what about the curse? That was pronounced on Jeconiah. That's going to exclude him. But then Jesus comes in and says, hold up, hold up, hold up. You have mistaken. Mary was also a descendant of David. And through the line of Mary and Mary being the physical son of David, she was also entitled to the throne as well. Are you guys with me? I share all of that to say, I know I went through that and that may be something to mull over. But I shared all of that to say Mary and Joseph knew none of that. All that that we went through, Mary and Joseph, Mary's pregnant, about to have a baby, dealing with all this persecution and stress. Joseph is trying to figure out what to do in the midst of this news. They didn't know any of it. Do you think with the knowledge of that information, it would have been a lot easier for them to endure the trials and the tribulations that they were going through? But may I submit to you this morning, God does not always give us the details, but we have to trust. We have to trust him through the process and realize that God has us in the palm of his hands and no one can pluck us out. And may I say this, persecution and difficulty are not the absence of divine order. Let me say that again. Persecution and difficulty are not the absence of divine order. Sometimes we think, man, why am I going through this? Why does it seem like everywhere I turn, like there's constant trials, there's constant turmoil. It seems like everything's hitting me at once. Why am I going through this? And sometimes we start to look at ourselves and say, man, have I sinned? Which isn't such a bad thing. We do have to check our hearts, but that shouldn't just be when we go through trials. We should check our hearts daily. David said, Lord, search my heart and see if there be any any wicked way in me. So that's something we should always do. Not just when we're going through a trial. But sometimes the trials that you go through are just part of life. And James tells us in James 1, 2, count it all joy when you go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete, lacking nothing. Now, I don't know about you. How many of you are willing to admit, oh, I'm excited about this trial. I'm excited about this news from this doctor. I'm excited about this uh, 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 news of my husband wanting to divorce me or telling me there's another woman. I'm excited about this. No, we're not going to be like that. But sometimes we'll say prayers like this. And I've said prayers like this. Lord, take this away. I don't want this. Take this away. And God shared with me. He said, Brandon, instead of asking me to take this away, what is it that you are to learn through this? Time out. Do not think for a second that your God is not good. Even though I'm sharing this with you, don't be led to believe that it is God who is bringing the calamity and the stress and the temptations and all of the turmoil in your life. My Bible tells me in the book of James that every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So don't get in your mind just because you're going through something that this is God. It is the enemy wanting to attack you and get you to fall away from God. But God is for you and not against you. We sang it in those songs. He loves us. 
and he has a plan for us and he has a desire. So be careful where you attribute the trials that are going on in your life to God and not to the enemy because he's for you and not against you and he loves you. The last point that I want to make as I close, Joseph's love for God and Mary produced obedience despite the cost. His love for God and his love for Mary. You know, one thing that I discovered several years ago that was a paradigm shift in my life. I gave my life to Christ probably in 2001, 2002 when I was in college. And I can remember when I first gave my life to Christ, man, there was such a fire. Like, man, I had a love for the word of God, was getting in it like crazy. And most of you know my testimony. I had a learning disability. I had a stuttering problem. All of this was healed as I, as I read the word of God. God miraculously healed me in that area. That's why I stand to hear as proof that God is able to take the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. But I can remember, how many of you know when you first give your life to Christ? It's wonderful. Man, like the words come off the pages. It seems like, man, you're just like flying, like on top of the clouds. And then all of a sudden, a trial comes into your life to test the genuineness of your faith. A trial comes and you're kind of maybe caught off guard, but then you kind of weather through it and God gives you strength and he shows you some things about yourself and about him. Because how would I know that he's a deliverer if I've never been delivered? How would I know him as a healer if I've never been healed? How would I know him as a savior if I've never been saved from anything? I know him based on the experiences that I've had with him. And he takes us from faith to faith and from glory to glory. But you can have those moments where, Lord, where are you in the midst of this? And there's one thing that God shared with me, because I can remember in those moments As I mentioned in Galatians chapter 5 about being led by the Holy Spirit, walking in the Holy Spirit. Well, before that, it talks about the evidences of the flesh. And I can remember looking at that verse like, and it lists all of these behaviors, liars, jealousy, um, adultery. I mean, all of these behaviors that were contrary to the will of God. And I can remember doing something in my ignorance. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try my hardest to be a good Christian. I'm going to try my hardest not to lie today. I'm going to try my hardest not to look upon a woman with lust. I'm going to try my hardest not to do this, not to do that. And I would fall every time. Kept falling, kept falling. Would get back up. God's grace and conviction was there. I don't discredit the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because that's positive proof that you're a son or a daughter of God when you're convicted. So I was thankful. Every time I sinned, God convicted me. And I'm thankful for that. But there came a point. When I started saying to myself, Lord, even in my mess, even in my sanctification, your grace has still been extended to me. You've loved me through all of these things that I've done against you and you alone. How can I continue to treat you like this when you've been so good to me? And I can remember the Lord spoke to me and said, why are you focused so much on not sinning? That's defense. I want you to get on offense and start pursuing me with your whole heart. Start pursuing me. Start loving me. Start discovering who I am. Realize who I am. That Taste and see that the Lord is good. Recognize me as the Rose of Sharon, the bright and morning star, the Alpha and the Omega, the strong tower. See me for who I am. And when you discover who I am, you will discover that the sin that you are wrestling against no longer has its grip on you. Amen. You tell me in this room. And I speak to the men because I'm a man. You tell me a man who knows his calling, who knows who he is, 
And I will tell you flat out, pornography has no hold on him. I know who I am. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. Also, I recognize that that's somebody's uh, daughter, that that's somebody's wife. How can I look at this? How can I allow myself to stoop so low? And I understand it's a struggle. I'm not here to condemn anybody. It is a struggle. And a lot of us were exposed to this prematurely at a young age. But love God more. Love God more and pursue him with your whole heart. Matthew 1, 24 and 25, speak to me so much. Let me read it. It says, then Joseph being aroused from sleep did as, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Do you realize how difficult it is for a man to walk in purity? All my men said, yes. It's difficult. I can remember when I first met my wife when I was in college and she walked in like my St. Lucian queen. I'm like, man, Lord, like, help me. <laughs> like, help me. Because I knew that the Lord, that, man, we had became friends and got to know each other. And when it became apparent that we were going to get married and, and we got engaged, it seemed like, man, the temptation got stronger. It was hard. It was difficult. And so I can understand what Joseph was going through. Think about this. I've been waiting. You know, the, <laughs> you know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7 that it's better to marry than to burn with passion. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. But Galatians, as we just talked about, says one of the fruit of the spirits is self-control. So you shouldn't get married just because you can't control yourself. But if you have been with somebody for a long period of time and y'all have decided to get married, what y'all waiting on? But I can remember how difficult it was, how hard it was. And I can remember when my first son was born, Malachi. Before he was born, you know how we would go and get the sonograms. And, man, how can you not believe in God after seeing a sonogram? How can you not believe in God? Man, it just confirmed my faith in God even stronger. But I can remember asking myself, man, I wonder what my son is going to look like. I wonder what kind of hair he's going to have. Is it going to be like mine? I did have hair at one point, all right? (laughs) But I wonder, like, will he play basketball like me? You know, will he be as tall as me? Like, what personality will he have? Joseph forfeited that. He did have children after Mary conceived, but he forfeited that. And think of all the time that he waited to have relations with her. So God, you mean to tell me I found the woman that I desire? I have some needs, Lord. And I met this woman that I desire, and now you're telling me that I have to wait until she goes through this pregnancy? And then not only that, after the pregnancy comes, then I have to wait even more time. Are you serious, God? Do you know what I'm going through? But he was willing to do that because he saw the blessing at the end, and he was a faithful man of God. Will you stand with me in this place?